more of the monocles right after this. Emmy salsa ahi? Ahi. Ahi. Uh-huh. 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 Wow. Oh. Awesome hot chip. <laughs> Get it at 443-742-2134. Now, back to the monocles on soflowradio.net.com. now for something a little different. The Monocle started out as a written blog, created to chronicle and give purpose to a sudden abundance of time. With a laptop and a curious mind, a new task was assigned. It was a personal one, to find fulfillment, to be happy every day. The Monocles allows for an expansion of knowledge and healing through stories and laughter. In the Monocles, there's joy in examining and discovering. The Monocles will share the stories about the many people, places, and comminglings that have appeared along this path through a blog and an intention. Alchemy is real. Words, written or spoken, have power and heal. Smile! This is Miami. The opinions and views expressed on the Monocles are not necessarily those of the host, the SoFlow Radio Network, or its sponsors. In this medium, we can do what we want.
Welcome to this edition of The Monocles. Today, I'm very excited to have on the show my guest, Mado Hazelink. Mado is a um, yoga teacher and she is a podcaster, the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast with Mado Hazelink, straight from Asheville, North Carolina. Yay! How are you, Mado? I am so good. So happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Monica. Of course, of course, it's my pleasure. And I'm so excited to learn. Your specialty is working with yoga teachers and helping them um, really build their business, right? Yeah, I work with yoga teachers, both on their teaching skills and their business skills. What I help yoga teachers do is make the impact that they are inspired to make in the world. You know, we, we, those of us who become yoga teachers, we don't do it for on a whim. We don't do it because it's going to make us a whole bunch of money. There's got to be a deep drive to change people's lives. But then when we start teaching, we find, wow, this is a big, this is a big project because first you have to learn about the human body. You have to learn about the human mind. And then in order to make it sustainable, you have to learn some business skills. So my specialty is bringing those three pieces together and helping yoga teachers step into their leadership, really. That's so necessary and so true. Um, that marketing part of, of ourselves can be difficult sometimes, finding our voice, finding our niche, and really um, stepping out of ourselves. Like I'm great at promoting my friends and other people, not so great about promoting myself. I, <laughs> and I think that's true for so many people. Yes, I think, I don't know that there's very many people who really enjoy promoting themselves and their own work. And I think that mostly that comes from a little bit of a, a, not a misunderstanding, but a focus in the wrong place. When we think about promoting ourselves, it feels egotistical. And then it feels like it's not in alignment with yoga. It feels almost counter to yoga. And so at least in my mind, when I was a newer teacher, I thought, you know, if I just become a good enough teacher, then other people will spread the word for me and I won't have to do that <laughs> not fun part of the work. And the truth is that if we think about it as promoting ourselves, we're always going to be in a little bit of conflict with it. But if we think about it as promoting the work, promoting the way that we help people, promoting the tools that we have that help people, it really opens things up and it becomes a lot easier to step into that role because it's not about you. It's not about your ego. It's not about like being the best person or the best teacher. It's really about connecting with the people that you can help. And when you think about, when you think about marketing as connection instead of promotion, it's just so much more relaxing and even fun to step into. That's a really great way to put things. Um, 
I, I think this is that marketing, that fear of marketing or not knowing how to do it is true for a lot of other um, industries. I had a good friend who um, would always complain. They didn't teach us this in, in law school. <laughs> they don't, I don't know how to market myself. This wasn't something that I was taught in law school. And so, and it's such an important part of the business and taking it away from like, I think when I think of self-marketing, I think of like realtors and, you know, the Sunday paper with the big pictures, you know, they're holding their dogs and all their makeup and suits and stuff. And it always just really turns me off, but concentrating on that part of the tools and what we are offering really, I totally see that light flick in my head and go oh yeah that's the ticket and it it takes it away from I mean the shyness you wouldn't think behind this microphone I'm actually a shy person um I, I you know a shy extrovert <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's funny I'm I'm kind of an outgoing introvert <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> There we go. It's the perfect match today. So how did you come about um, podcasting? Well, so I've been a yoga teacher for 16 years. And when I first started teaching, there just was not a lot of resources out there for newer yoga teachers. And at the time, I was a new mom as well. So I started teaching when my older daughter, who is turning 18 next month or month oh. after next, next month being like this week um, in November, she turns 18 in November. She was just a, an infant when I started teaching. And so I did not have the freedom to travel around the country and follow my favorite teachers and even you know, getting to outside classes on a regular basis was challenging as a new mom. And my, her dad at the time, my partner was working long hours. And so I really needed to be able to build my skill set <laughs> at home and that wasn't available. And so within a few years, as I read all the books and took as many workshops as I could and leaned on my personal practice. And that was all great. I mean, it, it did work, but it was slower than I think if I had had more mentorship and more access to resources. And I decided that I wanted to create a resource for yoga teachers. So at first I started a blog or like a website and my thought was to pull other experts in and so I thought, okay, I'll have other people write guest articles, guest blog posts. And the amount of work it took to get one person to write a guest blog post, it became very clear that was not going to be sustainable because I would say out of every maybe 20 people who said, yes, I'll do it, one would actually deliver me a, <laughs> a guest post. And that post usually needed a lot of editing. So over time, I recognized, okay, if I want to get more voices into this project, I'm going to need to make it easier on them. And so podcast was the way that I was able to do that. It was also something that was challenging enough that it didn't, I couldn't be a perfectionist about it, right? With the blogs, because there's so much more capacity for control over a blog post, I found that I spent 
way too much time on each blog post. And even though the podcast episodes, they probably take just as much time as a blog post, maybe even more, but I can't be quite as much of a perfectionist about it. Like I, that was a important piece for me, not necessarily something that I thought of ahead of time, but something that I recognized along the way of, I'm not ready for video. <laughs> I'm too much of a perfectionist for a blog post, but I think podcasting is kind of the right middle ground for me. And it really has been, it's been an incredible medium for meeting people, for connecting with other passionate yoga teachers and having them share their area of expertise with my audience. And it's fun. It's super fun. It is. And I get to meet incredible people like you and, and people from all over the world. Yes. And that's the beauty of the beautiful thing about the time that we're living in is the technology makes it so easy and simple to share good stuff. I know we're so lucky in that way. We are lucky in that way. Exactly. And, um, is your, your, so besides your podcast, so you moved from the blog to the podcast and sharing these resources with yoga teachers, are you working now because of, you know, 2020, everything's gone online. Are you, has your business shifted at all on, were you always online or it was your customer base more one-on-one? How did that work for you? So I shifted online a few years ago, actually. So I was that, <laughs> I'm super grateful. Really? <laughs> yeah, I did. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been online for, Gosh, I would say about two and a half years now, and I'm really glad that I did. It happened because of the podcast. When I started the podcast two and a half years ago, my audience became a worldwide audience. And so in order to meet them, in order to serve the people that were paying attention to what I was saying, I needed to do things online because doing things in person, this is, you know, this is a small area. This is a, not a major metropolitan area. And so I, (laughs) I had another child about 12 years after my first child. And so once again, I was basically at home, you know, travel has not been easy just due to my life circumstance circumstances. So since I couldn't really realistically go out and see people in person all over the world, online was just logical and it fit my introverted nature. I love connecting with people, but I also love that I get to do it from my home, (laughs) from my home base, my comfort zone. And so, yeah, I was already in that world. And I would say that the main change since COVID Well, first was just emotionally supporting all the people that um, all of a sudden had the rug swept out from under them and all of a sudden had all of their work taken away. That was a big deal, just kind of holding emotional space. And then I think there's been a lot more interest in focusing on how other yoga teachers can bring their, their work online beyond just the dropping classes online, but a bigger, bigger projects, bigger offerings online. I love that. I really, really love that. One, because 
there, I think there's just a plethora of videos for us to watch. They existed before COVID and now with so many yoga studios closing and it's just natural that I think the industry is moving to providing content online, but there's so much beyond asana. There's so much beyond a yoga class that you watch and follow from home. So I, I, I love that you said that because I really feel um, it gives the opportunity for everyone to go deeper into yoga. It's not just asana. Exactly. And those drop-in classes and the pre-recorded single classes, they're wonderful for what they are. They're wonderful as a moment of your day to step into your body and to move, <laughs> but there isn't a progression there isn't an ability to take you from one state into a new, into a state of growth or permanent change or, you know, fulfilling an intention that you have for yourself, whether that intention is a mental intention or a physical intention, you know, those, those single individual classes can only go so far. And there's a potential online for mentorship in a deeper way, in a bigger way that I think people are really starting to recognize now. Yes, ho absolutely. Hopefully people are recognizing and jumping on board with that. I mean, I always would tell people, you, you can come to my class. I, I love that. And you can also go online and take a class from, you know, a famous, huge yoga teacher. Like the, and those are free. So it's you know, that that one on one action or that energy exchange um, that I found with my students in that moment was fantastic. But I would also always recommend go try all different styles. I mean, it's out there. It's free. And now with so many teachers jumping on online, um, I, I think that idea of focusing on the other parts of yoga make it really important. And. Um, we talked about before this podcast, we talked about imposter syndrome and I'm thinking I, I, I might, I might fall into that category where by sending my students to go watch someone else's video, maybe I wasn't feeling quite adequate or I don't know, tell me, you know, tell us more about imposter syndrome. Where does it come from? How does it manifest? How do you overcome it? Yeah, so imposter syndrome is a psychological phenomenon where on the inside, people who are very capable have doubts about themselves that are not based in reality. So these are, these are thoughts and doubts about themselves that somebody from the outside would be incredibly surprised by. And yet it happens, this is a phenomenon that comes up in the highest levels of achievement across all types of ages, across all types of industries. Now, here's something interesting. So it has multiple levels. You have the societal level, you have the family family level, kind of the upbringing, and then you have the individual epigenetic, um, you know, what, what are your tendencies, your, your personal tendencies. So on a cultural level, though, 
it is much more prevalent among women than men and highest prevalence among women of color. So you can see how some of these cultural messages about who's supposed to be successful and who isn't have really permeated into the individual psyches. Um, so, but, but even, even white men do experience this as well. I remember hearing an interview with Neil Gaiman who talked about this. And I don't know if you know who Neil Gaiman is, but he's a graphic novelist and writer from England, very, very well known, very famous. I think even Oprah has talked about this. So hmm. you can, even though it is more prevalent among certain populations, it can happen to anyone. And it's really just that sense of not enoughness that isn't based in reality. So here's the thing about the way I think about imposter syndrome though, is it's only a problem if you let it be a problem. It's only a problem if you believe those thoughts <laughs> that you have, right? And we know from our yoga training and our yoga studies that we are separate from our thoughts. Our thoughts are an experience that we're having, but they're not who we are. And they're not all true. They're not necessarily true. They can be real without being true. So one of the things yoga teaches us on a deeper level than just the asana plane is to question our thoughts. To, well, I mean, for, for the first, first of all, just notice, notice our thoughts. What thoughts come up over and over? What emotions do those thoughts bring up in us? And especially those are, that are happening as a pattern. So what are the thoughts that we have on a regular basis that bring emotions, whether positive or negative? Let's notice this. And then if we're noticing thoughts that are not helpful, thoughts that bring up negative emotions, what is our behavior? What is our response to those feelings that come from those thoughts? And often with imposter syndrome, the behavior is inaction. Well, there's actually two tendencies. One is over-preparing and the other one is inaction or procrastination. So when we see either of those two tendencies, um, over-preparing leads us to waste time and energy, <laughs> you know, um, doing things that don't need to be done, which might not be a problem, but if you already feel overwhelmed, you already feel like you're really busy, you don't have enough hours in your day, then that imposter syndrome can lead you to waste time and to make progress more slowly because of that. Or the other tendency is that you put things off, you wait, you kind of self-sabotage by not taking action. So either way, whatever these, whatever your particular response to, to imposter syndrome is, it can hold you back, but it doesn't have to. The thought or the question of, am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I pre prepared enough? Am I qualified enough? <clears throat> this is not a bad question to ask yourself. In fact, on the flip side, we have the Dunning-Kruger effect. Are you familiar with this phenomenon? It's another no. psychological no, no. phenomenon. No. So for any listeners who aren't familiar with it, 
the Dunning-Kruger effect comes from a study, I think it was in the 70s, that showed that the less educated a person was on a certain topic, the more confident they were about their knowledge and ability on that topic. So to me, Dunning-Kruger and imposter syndrome are like the two sides of the same coin or, or the opposite ends of the spectrum. And we don't wanna be on either side, you know, too far on either side of them. So I don't see imposter syndrome as inherently a problematic thing unless it holds you back, unless you, it, it goes unchecked and it's running in the background and you aren't aware of it and you're letting it run your life. However, just having those questions and then checking them against reality and having people in your life, connection, community, where you can say, hey, I'm having these thoughts. What do you think? So that some, some outside party can say, no, you are totally qualified for that. You're totally capable. You know, you're totally capable of that. Um, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things that, that we can do. So to answer your question about what can we do about it, one, be aware of it be educated, know, know that it exists, that it's a thing, notice when it's happening, and then take the wise action that isn't run by the imposter syndrome, but is run by more of your wisdom centers, your prefrontal cortex, the parts of your brain that think rationally and are able to discern between this, um, to me, the imposter syndrome comes more from the limbic system, which is the part of your brain that senses threat. And so obviously putting yourself into a situation where you're unqualified is, is kind of a threatening thing for your brain. So your limbic system is very fast. Your limbic system is very efficient. It tends to cause you to act or freeze before you've had a rational thought. Um, but because this is not a, you know, a lion chasing you situation, you can notice, oh, I'm frozen. My limbic system must be sensing a threat. Let me see what are the, what are the thoughts I've been having. Ah, I've been feeling in unqualified. I've been feeling afraid that I can't really do this, like that I'm not good enough for it. Let me either be able to sense for myself. No, I actually am. This is, this is um, something I can do. It's just a fear reaction. Let me, what, let me figure out what the next right step is. Or if you're not in that frame of mind, to reach out to somebody and to just, I mean, it can be a friend. It can be a therapist. It doesn't have to be somebody trained. I think most of our good friends, if we came to them and we said, I've been having these feelings of not being good enough, can you check with me? Can you kind of help me think through this, that we would walk away from that conversation with a different perspective? I could see where possibly having, um, I could, well, I could see where this effect would be <laughs> uh, coming from a corporate, corporate background and a corporate, uh, more of like a high profile job and then moving to yoga and, you know, look, trying to explain to my family or answer questions of like, what are you doing with yourself now? I'm like, oh, I am doing yoga and some, you know, other weird, weird stuff out there. And not understanding that can also feed into that uh, imposter syndrome. And then the overpreparedness of overpreparing for a class 
coming into a class and not having it packed with people and then kind of failing to meet your own expectations of that class can feed into this. Like maybe there's a, a an aspect of um, perfectionism going through your head, right? Where this would, especially as a new teacher, I could remember, I mean, I had notes right beside me and it had so many things going on of how I wanted it to feel and, and really missing the feeling of just going with the flow and teaching. Mm. Does that, you know, does that make oh, sense? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that when I talk to teachers, newer teachers, and I would use that pretty broadly, like anyone who's been teaching less than 10 years or so, we tend to have two styles. One that really wants to be prepared and, and prepares their class kind of over prepares, like you said, and then others who like to just wing it. And I think that each style has something to learn from the other. Because I think it is good to be prepared. I think it is good to think through what is it, what is my message that I really want people to walk away with today? And at the same time, we need to be present with the people who are actually in the room. So if we planned a class thinking there were going to be 40 people in the room and we show up and there's five, we can still teach an incredible class to those five people because there's only five bodies to watch. There's only five faces to connect with and we can more easily craft a class that responds to those individuals and what you're seeing in their bodies and what you're sensing from them versus in a room of 40, you kind of have to just go with your plan because there's going to be such a wide variety of experiences and bodies in, in a bigger crowd. So yes, definitely over-preparing and perfectionism is related to imposter syndrome. And I think what you're, what you're talking about is like, instead of stepping into the room and, and recognizing the moment for what it is, being in this story about what it should be, what it's supposed to be. Like I would be successful if there were 40 people here versus, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm here. I showed up to teach. There's five people here. I'm going to be as present with them as I possibly can. And if you do that, if you're able to step into leadership in that moment for those five people, you'll walk away floating. You'll walk away feeling so incredible because that is your practice as the teacher. Right. I love the fact of um, once you get past you know, doing the quick calculation of I have this many people in my class. Once you get past that and really probably don't care, and then you're just teaching from your heart, you're teaching from that place of authenticity that is going to make you a better teacher. It's That's what people are going to walk away with. And then you're able to build the confidence. I'm thinking of, again as a new teacher, you're, you're able to build that confidence in um, in your teaching, in your style. Uh, I can remember going to a yoga class. Actually, she's going to be on the podcast soon. She was one of my first yoga teachers, and she's fantastic. And I remember going to her class, and there was that was always full, and then there was only two other people there. And I asked, what happened? What's going on? Oh, she's not teaching at the studio anymore. And 
you know, everyone left, everyone had left. That's why there was no one there. So if you're coming into teaching a class that say someone who was loved and had been teaching there for a long time and you're stepping into that class, there is a big letdown. Um, you know, let's face it, if you're not having a filled class, you're really not filling your pocketbook either. But I think that really works with your confidence as a teacher. And you almost have to put that aside and find your own message and, and move through past that to eventually build your audience and eventually, you know, have those that, that draw that community that's going to continue to come to your class. And I think the same is online, maybe even more so. There's so many choices. It may not be that someone doesn't like your class. It may just be that your schedule and their schedule don't match. Definitely. I mean, I think we've all been there. And I think it's helpful to know whether you're a yoga teacher or you're a lawyer or whatever it is you do, we've all had those moments of feeling less than you know, from the yoga teacher perspective, I think anybody who's been teaching a, a decent amount of time has had those moments of feeling like this is, this is the ego, right? Coming into play. Like, oh, if I were a better teacher, more people would be here. And what we learn and what we practice as yoga practitioners is to be with what is and to allow the moment to be as it is without trying to micromanage it. So we, you know, we're human. And my, my understanding of yoga is it was developed primarily to help some of the more destructive tendencies of being human. So everything that yoga teaches, everything that we practice when we practice yoga None of it's easy. None of it's intuitive for most of us, for like 99% of us. It's not intuitive because it's designed to counteract our destructive tendencies. So this will come up as a yoga teacher. It will come up as a, somebody date in the dating world. It will come up as whatever, whatever you do, these moments of comparing to others, comparing ourselves to others. It will, be, it will come up, you know, this question, am I good enough? is this a reflection of who I am? And so when that happens, we're going to feel pain. We're going to feel emotional pain and that is normal. So we don't want to expect that just because we practice yoga, that we're exempt from emotional pain. We're not, we practice yoga to help us manage the emotional pain. So we experience emotional pain. Like maybe we took over a class from a teacher who was very well liked and all of a sudden hardly anyone's coming. And, and we're questioning, like, it, is this my value? Is this my worth? And then the work is to examine those thoughts and to ask, are these thoughts true? I don't know. I don't really have any way of evaluating. So it's not helpful to dwell on them. But what is my opportunity here? Can I, how can I step into my potential for my practice? And to me, as yoga teachers, this is our opportunity. This is kind of the, the hidden gift of teaching is these constant invitations to step into presence. Yes. These are, are, these are topics maybe I would say you working with um, 
yoga teachers and building their business and um, incorporating their business? Or the, are these the things that you typically work through? Or tell me a little bit about your um, program, your resource program, or how you work your I guess coaching, actually, yoga coaching. I do. I coach yoga teachers and I coach them on multiple angles, but most people come to me wanting business help because that is something that it's a big struggle. It's a top of mind struggle. I really want to create a sustainable business. I don't know how, and you have, you know, some, some knowledge, some skill sets for how. And the interesting thing and what makes it so fascinating and engaging for me, this work, is that all of these things come up within the context of business and entrepreneurship amplified because we're talking about survival. We're talking about matters of survival, right? Our livelihood is a matter of survival. So whatever tendencies we have, whatever tendencies we, we bring to our lives, is going to be amplified within this arena. So if we have imposter syndrome, if we have um, whatever uh, the tendency to compare to others, if that's one of our big patterns, our samskaras, our mental mental patterns, um, a, a sense of unworthiness or fear of success or discomfort with money and earning money, all of these things are going to come up within the context of coaching. So one of the things I'm doing right now is building out a online course to walk people through the nuts and bolts of building the business. Because what most people need help with on a one-to-one -one basis is unpacking those samskaras because they're running in the background, right? These stories are running in the background. They're controlling our behavior. We're not aware of them. And when I spend a, a lot of my time working with people, teaching them kind of just the facts, the things that don't change, the things that aren't individual, then we don't have as much time to unpack. Well, you said you were gonna go live on social media three times this week and you didn't do it at all. So what happened there? Like what, what were the stories running through your head that prevented you from doing what you said you were gonna do and doing what you know you need to do to take the next step to grow? So I've been kind of developing this curriculum for the last two and a half years, really maybe more like five years in my head, but I've been developing it um, more on paper or in concrete form for the last two and a half years. And so my goal is eventually to have more of the teaching stuff done in a, in a leveraged way where I can give people this course. And then as they walk through it, I can help them through the individual blocks that come up and the individual questions that they have. Because right now I do both of them at the same time, which is great, but it's not as cost effective and it's not as efficient for my time. Mm. So, and you're also giving that, that opportunity of having some, um, uh, the word just slipped out of my head, but accountability, you're giving that place for accountability of setting goals up, setting these emotions that are coming up, dealing with them, and then giving that accountability that 
at the end is going to lead to a successful program. Yes. Accountability is key because that part of our brain that tries to protect us, I mentioned it earlier, it's super fast. It's faster than our logical brain. So we can't, we can't outsmart it in the moment. We have to outsmart it ahead of time. We have to create systems and structures to help us stay the path that we've chosen. And I'll give you a few examples of those if you'd like. Of course. So coaching, mentorship, that is one structure. Partnership or collaboration is another structure. Hiring help is a third structure. So something like if you have a VA who's waiting on you for this, then it's, it's very motivating. I'll tell you as a podcaster, I have somebody who does like my show notes. And so I have to get the podcast to her by a certain amount of time, you know, earlier versus like trying to push it all off myself. Um, another structure would be a peer mastermind or a business relationship that where you're not in business together, but you hold each other accountable as peers. So those are, I think five, did I give you five different options for structures for accountability that I like to personally build in as many of those as I can into my life because they all serve a role. Right. And um, so do you have any, um, any other programs going on now or something that you'd like to share? And also, how can people get a hold of you? They want to work with you. What would be the best way to connect with you? Yeah, the best way to find me would be to go to teachingyoga.net where you can find my podcast. You can also just search for the Yoga Teacher resource on any podcast player, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And something that I have coming up soon, or when is this going to go out? Do you know? Um, probably this Oh, week. great. Okay. So I'm collaborating with a really dear friend of mine who's a physical therapist, and we are creating an anatomy membership for yoga teachers. It's called Anatomy Bites. And it is designed to provide bite-sized, spoon-fed anatomy lessons within the context of the yoga classroom. So basically, there'll be each month a lecture, an embodied practice so that yoga teachers can, can bring what they just learned into their bodies and really own it. And then a Q&A session so that after they work with it for a couple of weeks, that they can then say, okay, I tried this in my class and here's what happened, or this is what happened in my body. This is what I'm still confused about. So those three components in a monthly membership so that yoga teachers who maybe in the past have been in intimidated by the vastness of anatomy and you know, big anatomy courses are hard to get through on your own. This is another structure for accountability where we're going to tell you each month, this is exactly what we want you to focus on and study this month. And it's just my, my friend Libby is doing um, most of the teaching inside the membership. And she's just really friendly and comfortable. And she puts things in this incredibly easy to understand way. So any yoga teachers listening, if you're interested in learning anatomy, if you're interested in biomechanics, kinesiology, how to more effectively 
guide your students into their postures in a way that's really empowering and not super rigid, but has an understanding of how the human body works in the background, please check out anatomybites.com. That sounds awesome. Uh, I, I think we can't get enough anatomy, especially when you put it in practice in your sequence. Um, so that sounds really amazing and incredible. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for joining me today. This has been enlightening. I love chatting with you. Please come back whenever you'd like. You've been a fantastic guest and I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much, Monica. It was such a fun conversation and really one of my favorite topics. So I'm super grateful that you asked me to come on. Of course. Namaste, my friend. Namaste. Hi, everyone. I wanted to share a simple breathing technique that I developed when my life turned upside down several years ago, and I was suffering from extreme claustrophobia, panic attacks, and anxiety. My anxiety was so intense that on a doctor's scale, three-day difference, first day on the doctor's scale, I weighed X amount, and three, literally three days later on the same doctor's scale, I had lost 12 pounds. And as much as I'm a fan of losing weight, and I can certainly use some weight loss in my life, um, panic and anxiety is not the way to go. This happened to me early in my yoga career, so I'm very, very grateful for the many teachers that I studied under, and my focus became yoga for trauma, where I learned a lot of different techniques that and tools that are available to us, um, medicine-free, doctor-free, something that we can draw on in those moments of panic and anxiety. I like things to be simple. I like things to happen quick. And this technique that I developed helped me. Um, I still use it. I found myself teaching my clients how to use it. And eventually I wrote a short um, ebook about it, explaining that technique. And I'm offering it to you now, letting you know now about my ebook, which is available on Amazon. It's available for Kindle and it's called Reset the Breath. We are living like machines, but even a computer that's a machine has a reset button. So when life becomes overwhelming, you can always turn to your breath and use this simple three breath technique to gain your composure, to gain your inner peace, and to gain your confidence back. One of the most debilitating things about panic and anxiety is that when you do have an about of anxiety or panic, you usually will associate, or I associated, the location where that happened and then would try to avoid that. So it was really limiting my life. Example, if you're at the mall and you have a panic attack, guess where you're not going anymore? You're not going to the mall. But it's not the mall that created the panic attack. Um, being able to consciously and uh, breathe with awareness and visualization and intention brings us back to the present moment, which helps us very much 
to eliminate or overcome um, this moment of panic attack or anxiety. So I invite you to check out this ebook on Amazon, Reset the Breath. It's a short read, less than 12 minutes. Um, I also priced it less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks because I feel that this is an invaluable tool that we have available to us in times of panic and anxiety. And guess what? In the middle of a pandemic, it is a good time to start practice practicing our breathing. So please check out Reset the Breath on Amazon.com, and I hope it helps you just like it helped me. is recorded live each week from the SoFlow Radio Studios in Hollywood, Florida. Written and produced by Monica Uribe. Directed by Christopher Hudspeth. With special thank you to George Rodriguez. All rights reserved.